and the failure of members of Congress, members of your even local government to, to mm. share facts with the public is troubling. And certainly you see a, a similar push going on now with information Biden administration yeah. in, the, in, in, the, in the same context. And then you bring in the social media aspects, you bring in um, how certain viewpoints are being treated. It's a pretty hostile environment out there right now for, for the freedom of exchange of ideas and speech. Yeah. Today's podcast episode actually evolved out of an experience we had following our most recent episode of Inside the Vault, where we talked about the Big Brother-like concept that's being proposed in legislation for the IRS to obtain transactional data on most all business and personal accounts. Following the publication of that particular episode, we found ourselves to have been censored by one of the major social media platforms, which got us thinking. This is probably a topic that we should cover as relates to not only the impact on business, but the impact on the public at large. Today, we will be discussing this topic of censorship with two former members of the United States Congress who are both attorneys and will be able to give us both their opinions personally from a legal perspective and as former government officials. To delve into this topic of censorship, I'm sitting down today with Melissa Hart, who in addition to being an attorney, is a former member of the state of Pennsylvania Senate and a three-term member of the U.S. House of Representatives. So Melissa, before we get into some discussion here about uh, your thoughts and experiences with regard to censorship, I want to kind of set the stage here uh, with some statistics for our, our viewers and listeners. And we all know that social media is a huge part of how we, we interact and communicate with each other and express ideas. But the growth of that uh, genre of communication is is really astounding. In 2005, only 5% of adults uh, actually actively used social media when it was much less prevalent. Uh, whereas in the latest numbers we have, which are from 2019, show that about 72% of adults use social media regularly. Between 69 and 75% of them use all of the major platforms for social media like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. So this is obviously a big part of, of our society. So what, what I'd like to talk about is some of the activities that some of the social media platforms have taken uh, to moderate, eliminate, mold mm -hmm. the public opinion in, in a couple of different areas. So first, let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, there was discussion on social media by people posting that were either pro or anti-vaccine. And uh, there's been a lot of, it's called moderation by the tech giants over that speech. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as a former uh, public official is when it comes to health-related issues where there actually could be let's say, physical damage done by people getting the wrong information. Is that an appropriate time and role for a social media platform or a tech company to regulate their content? I think there's a, there, there's a lot of issues that have come up as a result of the pandemic, especially when it comes to people getting information or good information. And one of the yeah. things that really bothers me the most is that you hear a lot of people who are pro 
vaccination, pro-mask, all these things, they run around just shouting out science, science. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of the antithesis of what science is, mm -hmm. uh, is to just accept uh, without question one person's uh, body of research. Right. Especially over the short period of time that they've really had to deal with the COVID-19 uh, virus. So I would say that any censorship of, you know, physician A and physician A's team that may have been doing research versus physician B and physician B's team that may have been doing research, choosing one over the other uh, and just shutting down any information regarding what one may be trying to disseminate uh, is, is completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in, a, we're in a position right now where there, there's a lot of different scientific views. And, and those get say, proven out over decades, not yes, a year and a half. Right, and there's these <laughs> sort of intermediate conclusions. Right, but, right. But we've seen them change already since the beginning of the pandemic, from the don't wear a mask to wear a mask to whatever. Uh, it, so, so the censorship of these scientists and what they're presenting uh, I think is already shown to be harmful because we've had a number of people basically shut down uh, when they're trying to express maybe a concern and and some of those concerns have been have been borne out for certain populations uh, you know whether it's the children uh, in school with the masking whether it's the uh, concern of certain people not being able to tolerate uh, one or all of the vaccines. Certain people who perhaps have responded well to the vaccines. You know, only it seems uh, certain conclusions are favored on the or large see the light of day. social media. Yeah. And, and that, in my opinion, uh, is anti-science uh, because the goal of science is to tease out over time and over real results that they see Mm -hmm. In their, you know, in the in the group of people that are being tested, uh, what happens? And and if we don't hear about them, then we're almost dumbed down. Got it. And Got and it. the people that, that that are shouting science, science the loudest are the ones that are the dumbest, <laughs> because because they should constantly be seeking new evidence and new information, if they're real scientists. Right. right. So to get a, a complementary viewpoint, I'm sitting down with um, Keith Rothfuss. Uh, who has a similar background to Melissa Hart uh, in that he is also a three-term, uh, prior three-term member of the U.S. House of Representatives and an attorney. So what, what I'd like to talk to you about, Keith, is this idea of, of censorship, somewhat as relates to social media, but I think it kind of even goes beyond social media. We've seen influences in terms of how certain banks have treated Customers, how payment plat—I mean, digital payment platforms—have uh, you know kind of got into this uh, fine line between you know. It's all part of the cancel culture. Yes. If you yes, don't it is. follow what we think you should follow, well, you're not going to be able to participate with us. And the roots of banking issues, for example, even goes back to the Obama administration, where the Justice Department had something called Operation Choke Point, and they targeted certain certain types of businesses. And they were going to try to starve those businesses of access to, to the financial, uh, uh, to the banking world. Mm -hmm. And certainly you see a, a similar push going on now with 
with information by the registration yeah. uh, in, in, the, in the same context. And then you bring in the social media aspects, you bring in um, how certain viewpoints are being treated. It's a pretty hostile environment out there right now for, for the freedom of exchange of ideas and speech. Yeah. Well, let's talk about kind of the, the life changer that we've all had in the last 18 months or so, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. And you know, I'm interested in your take on you know, what you think the influence of some of these censorship type activities within the online realm may have had on certain issues related to the pandemic. Well, you take a look at some of the, the social media companies and they felt compelled to make sure that the information is getting out from their perspective. Uh, there's a lot of information that's been floated out over the last year and a half. Uh, where did the virus come from, the, implicit, the complicity of China, um, what kind of treatments people should be having. Uh, you hear a lot about, in the earlier days, hydroxychloroquine, and now the big conversation seems to be around ivermectin, um, that the vaccines, how do they work, uh, are they effective? And so there's just a tremendous amount of information out there right now. And, and I think that, unfortunately, everything's become so political. Like everything in our world today, right. everything's political. Uh, this is this disease should never have been politicized the way it has been. Um, it's gotten in the way of the science. Well, well, and also there are certain attitudes. I again, this is across the spectrum, but I, I see some folks in government, for example, uh, having a bit of hubris and not you know trusting the people with the facts. Just get the information out there. And unfortunately, look at the vaccines. Have we ever had a kind of dispassionate, objective conversation? Uh, um, I, I suggest we, maybe the government should have invested in taking a half hour time from the networks. <laughs> yeah. 7 to 7.30, uh, uh, CBS, NBC, uh, uh, um, CNN, Fox, PBS. Do a half hour presentation. Directly from, from people, officials. how yeah. mRNA, how the vaccines work. Look, I got vaccinated. I had to do my own diligence. I asked a number of friends of mine who are in the, in their doctors and the health profession. Um, I got comfortable with, with where this was at, and I made the decision uh, for myself and, and for my family. We, you know, we're deciding, well, should we get this vaccine? Okay, benefits, whatever. But we, look, we can figure this out. And there's this attitude, I think, in some in government, you see this coercive push with respect to the vaccine, where they've never sat down, explained how the thing works, and then swatted away some of the common objections you're hearing out there. You know, it would have been a very good public service to do something like that, but we've never had it. Uh, instead, it's almost like this nanny state attitude, and we're going to tell you what to do, and you're going to do it, or else you're going to be punished. That's not the way to lead. Yeah, um, have some faith and trust in the American people. Well, I mean, obviously the faith and trust in the American people to elect these individuals. Right. They should also have the faith and trust to let them make their own decisions as concerns personal health. But time and time again, we see the attitude, particularly folks, certain folks in Washington, certain yeah. folks in the state capitals, they think they know better, and then they will go and try to order our lives the way they think it should be, and then it just doesn't work <laughs> in a separate context. But now you have this, the president, the Speaker of the House, talking about a $3.5 trillion bill costing $0. You know, how that happens, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, so the social media companies, you know, they start talking. The government actually goes to these social media companies. Hey, you have to block certain information. You have, that, that raises a whole number of issues. Well, that, that begs the question, yeah, do yeah. they fall into the same um, jurisdiction, let's call it, with regard to the First Amendment that the government does. Well, well, 
question would be, are they becoming an agent of the federal government? And if so, then yeah, would the same, when, when, when our Constitution says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, and there is robust protection in our Constitution for the free exchange of ideas, um, and, and that doesn't apply to private actors. But when a private actor get, takes on the cloak of the government and they're working with the government on something, that begs the question as to whether or not, then should that standard apply to those private actors? Are they, in, if not a formal kind of contractor, but have they become an agent? And, and what other ties are there between the government and a, a social media platform? You've got to start taking a look at that. There, there are some efforts in the states right now with respect to taking a look at viewpoint discrimination that you see happening right now with respect to the social media companies. Just this week we had YouTube uh, come out and say they're going to uh, block um, anti-vaccine anti information, yeah. uh, um, which begs any number of questions. Uh, what do you mean anti-vaccine information? For example, if you want to say that the vaccines we're getting right now from Moderna or Pfizer, uh, they've been authorized by the Food and Drug Administration for an emergency use. They haven't been approved in the normal process. You know, look, I, I understood that when I was going. I, I still got the vaccine mm -hmm. because I made the judgment call based on how I understood how it works and the benefit to it, to myself, to my, my personal health, to the, the health of those around me. Um, and if you can educate people about that, then... I, I think most people are going to get this vaccine, but I still know it's, look, I know this is an emergency use. I know that 20, 30 years, you know, who knows what the, 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 the outcome is going to be, but I trusted the people I talked with. Um, and and it's always good to have those opposing viewpoints to help make your decision. Well, exactly. Because that's the whole it, debate it, it, is what sparks innovation. And, and, and now <laughs> we live in a time where, where if you hold a different viewpoint, uh, not only are you ridiculed, um, you're demonized. <laughs> this is not a healthy environment to be in. Right. And I think social media does kind of feed that because yeah. it has been the Wild West for the last 20 years on a lot of these platforms, and you can say whatever you want. Mm -hmm. right? and, and a lot of good information got out, yeah, and a lot of not so good information out, and misinformation gets out. And this happens across the spectrum, um, and, and it happens from the government. You know, the other, the other aspect of this is, you know, the level of responsibility our elected officials should have for being informed and accurate to the extent that they can be and what they put on these platforms. you agree? Yeah, and, but again, more information that gets out the better. So if you have an official that puts up bad information, then they have some counter-information out. Well, the other thing you, know, you go to yeah. Dr. Fauci, you know, masks aren't effective. Oh, they are effective. They are. Yeah, it, this whipsaw going back and forth. And to, to suggest, okay, Dr. Fauci, you said at the beginning that, you know, masks, went, oh, is that because you wanted people to not get the masks so that they could be saved for the healthcare workers? Again, the government wasn't upfront at the beginning about what they were doing. Um, it, it, and so they've kind of impeached their own credibility. And if you had for competing viewpoints, let's, let, again, go back to the beginning of, of the pandemic where some of the folks in government were saying, don't, masks aren't going to be helpful. If there was somebody who wanted to say, wait a minute, masks aren't going to be helpful, would that person have been kicked off? And then three months later, oh, masks are helpful. Yeah. So this is an example of, of you know, in what's, in, what's in season today, and is the government going to turn around and say something completely different, you know, 30 days from now? So, you know, the big debate when we talk about 
these social media platforms and whether they can or should moderate thought or opinion or, or information in general is is whether they really fall under the First Amendment, mm -hmm. which provides freedom of speech. And the big debate is these are private companies with a for-profit motive, but they serve a public function. Mm -hmm. They're, I think I've heard them being equated to a, a town hall. Yeah. So where do you fall on this issue in terms of, you know, are social media platforms quasi-governmental in that they're a public forum, or are they should be treated strictly as a private company? I think they're a public forum. Okay. Uh, and it's interesting. It depends on I think your point of view. Um, you know, if you're if you're the newspaper, you're also private, mm -hmm. uh, but you also are open mm -hmm. um, when they when they have the opportunity to print something for all of us to see, and they print something that is erroneous, they are subject to suit. Um, they are advancing, you know, articles, they are advancing those things, so they have a responsibility. Now this is just the opposite when we look at the, the social media platforms are withholding a lot mm -hmm. of information. They're preventing certain points of view, and, and like we discussed earlier, the the doctors who may believe a different way than the social media companies want them to regarding what, what should happen with uh, COVID uh, precautions and that sort of thing. So I think what you have is, is um, they're manipulating the public and they are so big and they're so relied upon now that they don't really have the right to do that. Uh, if they're going to censor, like some of the states are trying to, to deal with them now, if, if they insist on censoring what they would consider violent or dangerous as far as, you know, causing or inciting people to violence, that kind of content. Right. I think that most people in, in the public would agree. It's that sort of an agreed to right. public decency. It's a social norm. Yeah. Correct. And that, that if they comply with those and they're taking down things that may be a problem in that way, then that's fine. And also, turn that into law enforcement if that's an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to political opinion, that's where I think most people who feel wrong right now, because it seems that there's one side of political opinion that's mm -hmm. being censored and another side that's being allowed to... Well, you, yeah, you mentioned you know, repression of, of information or right. opinions. There's also whitelisting going on, which is really just allowing you know, a particular viewpoint to basically be untethered in terms of the, uh, the way that they're able to promote their own side. Yeah, and I think an example right now would be the requirements uh, for companies of a certain size to have all of their employees be vaccinated. Well, first of all, mandating a vaccine, the U.S. government uh, mandating that uh, is, is totally out of line. Um, you, you and I live, have lived in a world where, you know, we grew up and had to, in order to go to schools, the, the schools in, encouraged and sometimes mandated that certain vaccines be mm -hmm. given to the children. But, but I don't know of any family that had taken exception to that that wasn't allowed into the public school. Right. So that may or may not have, have sort of changed with social acceptance. Right. And also with long-time acceptance of the vaccination. They weren't, they weren't provisionally uh, allowed on an right. emergency kind of basis. So, so mandating what is still an experimental health 
precaution or a vaccine right. is another thing that really doesn't fit into what was accepted in the past. So, but, the, but I think the, the word out there um, that, that would challenge that, and even challenge that on a constitutional basis, uh, is being shut down. Right. Um, that, 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 you know, everybody who would promote it, we saw that too, and I think one of the biggest ones that we've seen, there's been a lot, but the Georgia situation Mm -hmm. uh, where they had passed some restrictions on voting, and they were actually not restrictions on voting. They were more expansions of a, a type of new voting and controls to make sure those new votings were done properly and that they were able to be tracked as far as their validity mm -hmm. uh, were passed. Uh, they, were, they were debated, passed in an open forum as they should be in the Georgia Assembly, whatever yeah. it's in. Georgia Senate House. Yeah. And you saw the convergence of the large social media companies to basically call those out and say that they were wrong and they were going to limit people's voting. And the president even called them, like, back to Jim Crow. And if you read them, as a, as a person should be able to do, right. if you could find them, you'd see that they were actually opening up the vote uh, in, a, in a lot more ways right. and they were actually limiting. And the limitations were only due to the goal of making sure that they were valid voters. Yeah. So that's an example, in my opinion, of social media and one side of political perpetration of a falsehood on the country, which caused significant economic damage right. to people in Georgia, to the Atlanta Braves, you know, to the Major League Baseball, which was totally co-opted by these lies and then took the All-Star game oh. out of Georgia. So those kinds of things, again, that social media decided, oh, we're not going to allow the Georgia legislature's truth out there. We're going we're gonna to put our version of the truth, and anybody who prints our version of the truth will be the only ones who are on social media. And so, boom, it never got out there, the truth. Right. You and I had, a, had an offline discussion that, that I found very interesting. You even, you know, with, with regards to how social media activities influence elections and the election process, you know, how that, in some cases, equate, equates to campaign support. Well, yeah, so for example, Governor DeSantis just did this letter to his Secretary of State in the state of Florida to take a look at what Facebook is doing with the so-called whitelisting, mm -hmm. uh, where Facebook had been scrutinizing uh, uh, certain users, but certain users are not going to scrutinize, and these happen to be incumbents for state and local offices, while they're going to be having a higher level of scrutiny for those who are making the challenge. Um, and so why do some people get a pass and say ridiculous or whatever things that may or may not be accurate, uh, but others don't? And so in that context is that company putting the finger on the scale. And if they are putting the finger on the scale, is that the equivalent to, say, supporting a campaign? You know, when you, when you run a campaign, uh, you have to track your your, your, your donations, yeah. you have to track your expenses, where you're, there's all kinds of reporting that's required. If somebody gives a donation, you know, that's all recorded. Uh, the, the Federal Election Commission tracks all that. Yeah. But if, if there's a, what amount to be an in-kind contribution because... Which, when, it, in the scale of these media platforms, yeah, if you translated that into well, dollars, we're talking about big bucks. Yeah, let's say that you know, <laughs> NBC or whatever yeah. decides to... I want to put out some ads. I want to start running ads, just you know, favoring you know a candidate because I like that candidate. Well, that becomes you know a, a, 
not to, it, it can be an independent expenditure, but it's going to be reported. Right. So if you're putting your finger on the scale, is that akin to an independent expenditure that, that's going to influence a campaign that should somehow be quantified and, and, and reported? Yeah, I think you probably noticed Texas has proposed some legislation recently um, to require disclosure um, of any content that is um, censored in any way or, or taken down in any way. And also to have these companies start reporting what their true which is policies fair. Which are. is fair. Which, you know, users should be aware of that. And then it, it, there, there will inevitably be additional social media companies coming online. Because that, that, the, the idea that companies think they can control this only happens for so long. You know, it's a, it reminds me of that scene in Star Wars where, where Princess Leia is, you know, being threatened by the Emperor and not yeah. the Emperor, but one of the bad guys. And, and she says, the more, the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems are going to slip through your fingers. You know, these, these masters of the universe we have today think they can control things. The nature of the human person is that they desire freedom. There will be a way, you know, for freedom to triumph in the end. The challenges so far have been those new channels that might be less biased, don't have the financial clout or the um, number of users that the Goliaths well, that, well, that's So true. this is going to well, take that, time. Well, it, it takes time. It, 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 but it's where it, there's it, will, it, there's it, a way. It's going to take some risk for yeah. somebody who, who does have uh, some money to invest to start something. And we've learned that companies can become very, uh, come online and, and, and start to gain traction. And, and all of a sudden, where'd they come from? Oh, it's a, uh, here we go. Uh, yeah. um, and you have tens of millions of users out there uh, that would be open to alternative platforms that are, going to, that are going to be free. Right. I just find it amazing that, um, you know, members of Congress, House, Senate, the and the president, him or herself, could actually be, have their, these are people we elected to run this government or this country at the highest level. And having their opinions or their posts or information uh, eliminated from a public forum just blows my mind as an American well, citizen. <laughs> we have a real problem with the kinds of people that we elect, in my opinion. Well, that's true. That, but again, you got to yeah. respect the position. To a point. Yes. But when you see a complete manipulation of the truth that is false, then I have a real problem with the ethics of elected officials who perpetrate that sort of sure. falsehood. Um, you know, if they if they find later that something that they said was wrong, they need to come back to the people and say that this was incorrect. You don't hear that. No. And that therein lies the problem that I think we have that is facilitated by the social media giants because they will just carry that false story through and they will they will stifle the true story. Right. It happened with the Hunter Biden and it happens now with it happened with the Georgia and it's all on one side. Yeah. So so if it's a public forum, which it, you know, even wants to be, right, then it needs to allow the expression of people on different sides. Again, I think the only censorship that makes any sense is, is things that would incite violence, to, you know, to, to harm people, ch children, right. you know, other issues like that. Correct. And, Agree with you. and it's, it's interesting because now I think even the Instagram, just, just the function of it itself, being so focused on visual, being accused now 
uh, of actually causing harm, especially to teen girls regarding right. body image, those kinds of things, that we've become such a, an obsessed uh, country with, with garbage on Instagram. Like, who cares? Right. Um, interpersonal relationships, um, honesty, ability to communicate is really fallen by the wayside with a lot of people. And I think it's really up to us to pressure both the government and those companies to you know, get, get away from that. But you know, parents and that right. kind of thing is a big part of it too. But, but the whole issue of censorship regarding what are, what are facts um, is a big problem. And I do believe that the protection that those companies enjoy is not appropriate. When you had the Speaker of the House saying that this $3.5 trillion budget costs zero, that, that doesn't sound right. right. So it's probably not right. Uh, um, so be a little skeptical and, and try to find the answers. Uh, and, and ultimately, the more information that gets out there, uh, you have to let people see the information and then make their own judgment on it. And we went through two and a half years of Russian hoax, uh, where the allegation was that the Trump campaign was collaborating with the Russians, and it turned that, that all blew up. And as uh, the uh, special prosecutor John Durham continues to look at things, more and more you're seeing the ties between the Clinton campaign and the Russians, uh, the, the so-called Steele dossier. Right. Uh, more information. It, it, there's so many, so much information is out already, um, and we're we're just watching the T's get crossed and the I's get dotted. Uh, but you go back and see Adam Schiff, Congressman Schiff from California, who would say that the evidence was in plain sight. He was lying. He was lying. Uh, but that was misinformation that he was putting out for two years. Well, he still believes it. He, and he yeah. still put out this. But, but, but you don't see disclaimers on his stuff, which is a problem. Right. Um, so you see disclaimers on, on certain actors, but not on others. It goes to, to that whitelisting issue right. we were talking about. Um, the, the answer here is, look, let, let speech correct speech. Some of this, you know, this issue of censorship in the social media world is mm -hmm. bled into the financial system. Yeah. You know, we have certain digital payment platforms that have restricted people with certain viewpoints from conducting, you know, financial transactions right. online. Even some of the, our, our largest banks in the country, you know, have, have, basically invited customers out of their institutions mm -hmm. because of their viewpoints. Yeah. So this this is, you know, for our business business clients, this bleeds over into, you know, things that we deal with in the financial world day to day. Yeah. And I, and honestly, the the force of government to prevent censorship is good. But, but again, I think the mindset of our society needs to get out of the hole that it's in, making everything political. Because, because if I won't shop at a certain store because the, you know, the management or whatever has expressed uh, a belief I don't agree with or whatever, yeah. or it's or it's forcing its you know employees to do a certain right. thing, that's a problem just in general that they shouldn't be doing that to begin with. But also that you know I really don't want to be making my economic decisions based on not using that bank or not using that right. store either. So. So really, this, this, I think it really, oh, it sounds like the whole society needs to put the brakes on. Thank you very much. Okay. Pleasure to be here. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about in the future on this and other, other topics. Thanks. 
We really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Inside the Vault. As always, please be sure to review and rate us on all the popular podcast platforms. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Thank you.